0: Matthew chapter 20, and we're in verses 1 through 16. Over the last couple of months, we have been seeing the disciples wrestling with who's going to be the greatest, and you have this whole aspect of how they're going to get how that gets played out. And last week, we saw Peter finally asking a question. And they said, Jesus, we've left everything for you. So, is there anything for us? Is there, you know, what's in it for us? Which I think a lot of Christians ask, and even though it's a selfish question, Jesus isn't afraid of the question. And so you can have that kind of honesty. Because another, what they basically were saying is, what can we expect? And Jesus answered them, and then he ends chapter 19 with the same. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And that statement clearly concerned the disciples. They weren't entirely sure what that meant. So he gives a parable as an explanation. So chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, is that parable. And he ends it with the same question or the same proverb, um, but many who are first will be last, and the f- last first. So take a few minutes, or take a minute, and read chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, but start in chapter 19, verse 30, because that's really the parable is an answer to that proverb an explanation of that proverb. So just go ahead and take a minute. Again, this parable is bracketed by the same statement. Um, Thus the last shall be first and the first last. And those brackets define what the parable is about. And it's all about being first and last. And as we look at this passage, there's just a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, the proverb, and then the parable that defines it, and then the point of it, as well as some of the principles that we can learn from it. And what, is, and what is the intent of the parable? It's, the decept- it's there just to emphasize a simple point. Um, and that point is that in God's economy, there's equality. That everybody is you know, going to finish the same. Everyone will finish equally. That God is no respecter of his own. That God treats all people with equality. Um, And that's really what that proverb is about. So look at verse 1. It says, for the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is where those who are the children of God reside. That's where they exist. So it's illustrating how it is among the saved. Among the redeemed. Among God's people in his kingdom. And it's like this it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And this isn't an imaginary th- scene. This would be very common to the people of Israel, uh, to the Jewish listeners. On the mountain, would, there would be these vineyards which dominated the land of Israel. And the vineyard was probably one of the most valuable pieces of property. And frankly, required some of the hardest work. In spring, they prepared the soil. In summer, they pruned the bushes and tied them up. And in September, the grape harvest came. And the problem is when those grapes came, you had to get them fast because right after the harvest came the rains. And if you didn't get the harvest out before the rains, your crop would be ruined. So you needed part-time labor. You needed day laborers. Every available man had to be hired to get out there and do the work. Now there's all kinds of illustrations, or how that could just illustrate even our time here on earth, that the time is short and our responsibility is to go forth and proclaim it at 6 a.m. and then it at 6 p.m. 12-hour days, six days a week um, and for a day labor they were the lowest on the economic scale uh, they were unskilled untrained and un- unemployed except on a daily basis and so if somebody needed a day labor they would go to the marketplace those who needed work would be there and then they would just pick them and say come and work for us because even slaves and servants who were also very poor had a place to stay. They, that was secure for them. They had food. So they may not have a lot of money, but they had a lot more security than a day laborer did. And because of that, because of that, a couple of places in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, but in Deuteronomy 24:15, it says, you must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you, and it would be counted against you as sin. So even God took it seriously that you took care of the day laborer who was working for you. And he also recognized that the reason you had to do that is because the poor will be there, and if you're going to work for you, you need to pay them right away. So this parable is a vivid story that could happen in any Jewish town and any day during the harvest. Now those that wanted to be hired, those that wanted to work, would go to the marketplace. And they'd get there early in the morning before the employers showed up. So you have these willing workers, and then this owner of the vineyard comes at before six to hire them for his vineyard. And in verse two, it says, "When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into the vineyard." Now, there's all kinds of comments about what a denarius is, and they say, "Well, that would be the normal wage for a day laborer." The more that I read, it was really more of the the wage for a Roman soldier. So, and if a day laborer is the lowest on the economic scale, a denarius would have been a generous wage to pay somebody for working for them for a day. Uh, So he sent them into the vineyard at six to to get to work. And then verse three says, he went out about the third hour and saw others standing in the marketplace. And he finds some men standing idle. But the reason they're idle is because nobody has hired them yet. So it's not by choice of their own. They've been there waiting for somebody to hire them but nobody has hired them. And then to vote, verse 4. You, t- you too go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. Now it's interesting here, he doesn't tell them how much he's going to pay them. He made an agreement with those who went out at 6. Those who went out at 9 in the morning, he says, you don't worry about it, I'll take care of you. You just need a job, you get out there, you work, and they go, okay, we're on our way. Uh, then in verse 5, it says, again he went out at noon, about the sixth hour. And then he went out at the ninth hour. That would be three in the afternoon. So every three hours, he's going back. I need more labors. I got more vines that need to be harvested. I got more grapes. Um, And so he keeps on going back. But then you come to verse six. And finally, on the eleventh hour, he went out. That would be five o'clock in the afternoon. And he found others standing and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You too go into the vineyard. And then verse 8, And when evening had come, it's now six. The owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. And here's the key that unlocks the whole parable. Beginning with the last and then moving to the first, line them up and start with the ones that worked on an hour and then finally pay the ones who have worked 12 hours. So this is where we're getting to the meaning of the proverb. The first go to the last part of the line. The last go to the front part of the line. And that's where the proverb and the parable sort of connect. They touch. So he pays those who started at five, and those who then who pays those who began at three, and those who began at noon, and then those who began at nine, and the last batch who started at six are last. Now that would not be the more, you know, the norm. And it's definitely our not our norm. First come, first serve. You know, that's how we think. Um, very rarely we say wait. That's- they just cut into the line. No, that doesn't count. That doesn't work. Um, But the fact that the whole thing becomes shocking is in verse 9. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. Now think about that. All the rest who have been working longer have seen the one who worked for an hour, get a full denarius. What would be going on in your mind? I go, this is bonus time. Because we've been out here in the field for 12 hours in the scorching sun, and if he's giving them a whole denarius for an hour, I can't wait to see what we're going to I probably won't have to work for another two weeks. Because we're, we're good. So they start to get a little bit excited. And they make the statement. Sort of like Peter. What are we going to get? What's my reward for this? And their curiosity kind of runs away with them. And they begin to imagine that they're going to get it more. And in verse 10. When those hired first came. They thought they would receive more and they also received each one a denarius. Now, what's going on in your head at that point? I have this expectation because of how loyal I've been, how hard I've worked, how committed I've been, that I should get more than those who didn't work as hard. I should get more than what the others got. So you can imagine their expectation but that they would receive more than what was agreed upon. So in verse 11 says, when they received it, they grumbled at the landowner. They grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last men have only worked one hour. One hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. To do this work for you. Now. What are they basically saying? You chipped me. You're not fair. You're not, that's, This isn't fair. And an interesting sidebar. When you get a chance. Go back. Into your Old Testament. And read the book. Or read Ezekiel. Chapter 18. Ezekiel was a prophet that spoke to the nation of Israel during the Babylonian exile. And one of the reasons he was speaking to them, he was reminding them of why they were in exile. He pointed out, these are the things that you did that caused you to be in exile. And in chapter 18, it says, Hear now, O house of Israel, Oh, you say the way of the Lord is not equal. That's what he's accusing them. He's accusing the people of the nation of Israel, saying, you say that the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? Israel has accused God of not being fair. And the reason, one of the reasons they're in exile is because they've chosen to accuse God of not being fair. Now think about that in your own personal life. When will you feel the most alienated from God? When you believe that God is not fair. You will put yourself in a self-imposed exile. You'll still show up at everything. But you'll look around and you'll say, well, how come they get that? I've, I've been working hard for the Lord. And why am I struggling and they seem to be doing wonderful. God, God's just not fair. And we put ourselves into a self-imposed exile. you said God is not fair. How many times and how many people have said that before? That God is not fair. Um, when things in our lives don't go the way we expect them to, when we think they should have gone differently, when we think we should have gotten more than what we, should, we got, we sit there and look back and go, oh, that's just not fair. That's just not fair. And we intellectually know that nothing is fair, that life isn't fair, but when it happens to us, it's even more unfair. <laughs> you know. And so we grumble, just as the nation of Israel did, and when we do, we put ourselves into a self-imposed exile. Um, so this wasn't the first time that someone complained about the fairness of God. I mean, that was a scorcher. It was a hot day. And they were out there in the field for 12 hours, and you're telling me that this person who worked for an hour gets, gets equally paid? Um, how could that happen? So in verse 13, it says... Friend, am I doing you no wrong? Am I doing anything wrong? Did, did we not agree? Am, am I not being fair? Did, I, did we not say that you were going to work for a denarius and I paid you a denarius, which was generous in the first place, which is why you wanted to work in my field instead of somebody else's field? And so did I do anything wrong? Didn't we agree to this? Wasn't I faithful to what I promised you? And of course the answer is yes. Whatever God said, He did. We just thought when He said yes to us, it was going to be different than to other people. Um, The only issue here was jealousy and envy. Then Jesus says, Take what is yours and leave. This is what you got. This is what we agreed to. This is what was fair. Go ahead, take it and leave. And in verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Doesn't Jesus have the right to do what he wants with whatever is his? And so he's saying that to the disciples It's not illegal. It's not unjust. It's not unfair. It's not unmoral. They received what was promised. And notice a key point here. They hadn't all worked all day. They hadn't all worked all day, but all had the same need. And Jesus met their need. And so here was a person who had as much need to have an income to pay for their family's meal, to pay for lodging that night, to do that. And he saw the need, and so he met the need, and it was this person over here that was jealous and said, Jesus, I don't care about their need. This is my want. This is my want. And then he says to them, is your eye envious because I'm generous? Because God's generous, we become envious and jealous because he's not, and you know, with us in the same way he's been generous with others. Does my compassion and kindness to others irritate you? What an indictment. Well, Lord, I love your compassion, but really? <laughs> um, and then the Lord reiterates the proverb. The last shall be first and the first last. So you can see how he illustrated it. Everybody finished the same. Everybody got the same pay. Now, that's just sometimes hard for us to grasp. But the point in this whole message is that he's saying that the last shall be first in the sense that those that came into the vineyard to work at the end of the day And those that came to work at the beginning of the day got the exact same pay. There's equality in God's kingdom because that's what he said that we could get. And that's what they got. The teaching is not a parable on economics. It's not on fair wages. It's not on employee benefits. It's on the promise of God and what that means. It's a parable about the kingdom about where believers live um, in Christ's kingdom. It's a simple illustration made to make one spiritual point. And the spiritual point is the landowner is God. The landowner is God. The vineyard is the kingdom. That's God's people. The laborers are the believers in the kingdom. So we're laboring in God's kingdom. We're laboring for God's kingdom. The day of work is time. There's a certain amount of time that begins in the beginning of the day and ends at the end of the day. And that we have a certain amount of time to do God's work. And the evening is eternity when we receive our reward. And so here's what's going to happen at the end of the day. What is our reward? And the wage that we are going to receive is eternal life. And when any wage is more important than eternal life, we've got the wrong reward system. And so that's eternal life. And the steward is Jesus Christ, who was given the task of rewarding his own. So Jesus is rewarding his own with eternal life for those who work in the kingdom. And all of that comes together to mean this. All who come to Christ in Christ's kingdom to serve him no matter how long, no matter how short, no matter how hard, no matter how easy the circumstances, will all in the end equally receive the same full reward. The same full reward. And what is that reward? Eternal life. Now, and here's the other aspect to it. It's not only eternal life, Because back in chapter 19, it says you will receive blessings a hundredfold in this life as well as in the next. If we live with this uh, quid pro quo aspect of our relationship with Christ, that if I do these things, I deserve these things, we will always be miserable. And if we say, I have to do these things in order to assure my salvation, we will always be miserable. And instead of living out life for the joy of what God has provided for us, and living out that life because we are confident that God has given us a love for his word and for his world, and that that joy just permeates what we do, when we are working in the vineyard, that's exciting. That gives purpose. That gives direction. That gives us opportunity to witness new births. That gives us opportunity to see lives transformed. It gives us all types uh, types of opportunities to see a brother who is an atheist say, you know what, I've made my life commitment to Christ. I mean, it gives us all kinds of opportunities to see how God's working. And if I wasn't in the kingdom, I would never witness those things. I would never see it. But when I put my eyes on a different reward system, the reward system of the world, I rob myself of that. See, it's a tremendously encouraging thing to know that life may be inequitable, but God is not. Jesus is saying that the eternal benefits of the kingdom of God are the same for all, whenever and whoever may in their place of time of service. The same eternal life will be given to the worst sinner you can imagine as given to the missionary who spent 50 years in the jungle trying to convert a tribe. It doesn't matter. it's the same eternal reward. Now, in our minds, we may say that just doesn't seem fair but um, in God's economy, there's equality. Um, and it might be hard for us to come to grips with that the person who received Christ after a life will receive the glorious eternity as the one who served Christ for a day. For the cross, the same. And it's a tremendous truth that God is not unequal. We're all going to enter into the same eternal life. Now back to the parable, back to the apostles. This parable is really in some way a smack in the face to the disciples. Because remember, Peter's question was, Behold, we have given up everything. We got here at six in the morning. We've been working all day. You know, what's our reward going to be? And certainly they loved Jesus, they believed in Jesus, and they continued to follow him. Um, But they were still pretty shallow. And they were still pretty selfish. And if you don't believe this, wait till we get through the rest of chapter 20. Because you're going to see some other parables that are going to say, whoa, when are these guys going to get it? And every time you say, when are these guys going to get it, look in the mirror and say, and when are you going to get it? Because I'm sitting there feeling the same things that the disciples are feeling. Um, So throughout the chapter, you will hear them basically say, we want our rewards to exceed the rewards of others. We want to be a little bit better. After all, we've already left everything and we've you know, abandon everything. We've endured three years of deprivation. We've endured, you know, three years of having to move from one place to another because quite frankly, they're out to get you, not us. And so we have to continue to do that. Uh, And it's true. So surely they get something that was a little more deserving. And it was precisely that kind of selfish, envious, confused perception that our Lord is dealing with here. And it's about the reality of eternal life. Now, he's talking with the men's group. And so he says, but doesn't the scripture talk about rewards that we are going to get? And I go, yeah, it does. But it's not on the basis of what we've earned. 1 Corinthians 4 says, God will reward every man according to God's knowledge of the secret motives of their hearts. Not of the things that we've accomplished. Not of the things we've accomplished. Now, I wasn't going to say that until the person challenged me, but what about the rewards that the scripture talks about? Now, another interesting aspect of that is that also in the scripture, it talks about crowns of righteousness, all these different crowns that we're going to get. And so they say, yeah, but wait a second. Don't I get this crown? Don't I get that crown? Don't I get this crown? And so it sounds like we're, you know, I can collect different crowns and on my bookshelf are more crowns than are on Vince's bookshelf. So I'm a little bit better. But in Revelation, what does it tell us that we do with all our crowns? What do we do with them? Toss them at whose feet? We toss all the crowns at Christ's feet. So what does that do? Equals everybody again. Back to square one. So it really doesn't matter how many crowns I got. They're all going to the feet of Jesus. What? It doesn't say we can't pick them up again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, here. I, I have the sermon written out for you. <laughs> because there's some things that just are, you know, hard to get, hard to penetrate. Um, So, be careful that we don't get envious of somebody else that you don't think that you deserve more. That we deserve more. With God, it's absolute equality. Absolute equality. We all receive eternal life. Tax gatherers and prostitutes who come in at the end of their life are going to stand with missionaries and martyrs who gave their all all believers will be equally given the blessings of Christ we all live in the Father's house all live in the Father's house not some three blocks down around the corner in that other house we all live in the Father's house we all become like Christ we all live forever in a celestial city we all manifest the glory of God we all take on the image of the Savior we all from the moment we leave this earth are in the presence of Jesus Christ Um, Now, out of that, let me just pull a couple of principles together. Number one, God does the calling. Here's all the workers in the marketplace. And Jesus comes along and says, I'd like you, I'd like you, I'd like you, I'd like you to come and work in my field. So Jesus does the calling. Secondly, God establishes the terms. Not only do I want you. But here's the terms here's what I'm going to give you the rich young ruler couldn't accept the terms the disciples accepted the terms it's not our terms we don't set the terms okay if I do this then Jesus you got to do this for me he sets the terms third God is continually calling people it doesn't matter what the time of the day God is still calling people so there are people like my brother who God is still calling and still bring it into the kingdom. you know, um, And the work of redemption is going on and on and then on. And the, remember, the day is the time. He's continuing doing, going out into the marketplace, calling people. The fourth truth comes out of this. God redeems those who are willing. So even though Jesus is doing the calling... He's got a group of people who are sitting in the marketplace saying, call me. Call me. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to submit. I'm willing to give my life over to you. So please, take me. So it's sort of that other side of his sovereign choice is our willingness. They were there. They were available. They were willing. The same question has to be asked of each one of us. Are we there? Are we available? Are we willing to surrender our lives to the call of Christ? Um, They knew they were dependent. They knew that they had nothing apart from this. They were not the rich. They were not the self-sufficient. They were not the satisfied. They were just people who needed Christ. A fifth point that comes out of this is that all who came into the vineyard worked. They all worked. again we've talked about this before we sometimes think that the Christianity is a cruise ship I get to get on the cruise ship and then everybody else does the work the reality is is that uh, Christianity is a battleship every person has a job on the ship to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished all of us are workers there's not two foremen and two workers they're all in there working and what is the work the work of redemption The work of salvation. The work of discipleship. Go forth and make disciples of all the nations. How do you make a disciple? you first have to evangelize them. You don't disciple non-believers. You disciple people who've come to Christ. And so that's the work of the church. That's the work of all people. Um, Another principle that comes out of this is that God gives us all more than we deserve. He gives us more than we deserve. So there's no place for envy. There's no place for jealousy. It is absolutely ludicrous to say, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna have more jewels in my crown than you. It's absolutely ludicrous to say that my, I'm gonna have more cattle on my hills than you. It's absolutely ludicrous to say that when I get to heaven, I want my rewards to be greater than your rewards. And when we do that, we don't even realize who Christ is and how when we, when we leave this earth, we are immediately in the presence of Christ and his glory. And that is the reward that anybody should be looking for. There's just no place for jealousy. Um, There's only a place for humility that recognizes our unworthiness. And the last point and the main, main point, all, all, all eternal reward. Every eternal reward is a reward by grace. It is what Christ has given us. Works are irrelevant when it comes to eternal life. Works are necessary because we have eternal life, and we're laborers in the vineyard leading others to Christ, evangelizing, discipling. Someday when we all get the glory, we'll all be made like Christ. We will all inherit eternal life. We will all receive the same wonderful, generous gift. God's ways are equal, equally gracious to all. We don't deserve any of it. We should just be humble, humble and thankful for it. Um, And the truth is, at the end, God puts his grace on display for the world to see. Father, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, that Christ died for us. That we were ungodly and and deserved nothing. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And Lord, I can't even comprehend... how it must have grieved Jesus to see this constant ugly competition going on about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to receive the most. How come I didn't get what they got? And yet, through all of that, you continue to patiently show grace, show compassion, show understanding. And I guess it just probably would grieve you even now to see in our lives that we think we deserve more than somebody else, that it's all grace. And if you hadn't come into the marketplace and found each one of us, found us in our misery, found us in our pain, found us in our loss, found us in our sin, we'd still be there. So thank you for taking us and giving us such undeserved blessings, such immense privilege is to be a part of your kingdom and receive eternal life your ways are equal equally gracious and we praise you for that and help us to realize how undeserving we are of anything let alone eternal life and receive the gift of humility and be willing to take that grace and share it with others for we know what you said. The least in your kingdom is, in fact, the greatest. And may you be pleased, Lord, with our humility in the face of such kindness. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior's name, our Lord Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm.